You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. How do physicians best integrate palliative and critical care in the ICU? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Randall Curtis, Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle and attending physician in pulmonary and critical care medicine at Arborview Medical Center. His research focuses on measuring and improving the quality of -of end-of-life care for patients with critical or chronic illness. Dr. Curtis, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. What led to your interest in palliative and critical care medicine? Uh, I became interested in palliative care during medical school, actually when I first started seeing patients on the wards, and it struck me as an area in which uh, there was much need in terms of improving the quality of care that we deliver, but it was also a difficult area in which I found patients and families to be very appreciative, and I found it, although difficult, I found it very rewarding. And then I got interested in critical care during my residency training. I was excited by the fast pace of critical care technology and the opportunities to be able to save lives really attracted me to critical care. And then it really was during my fellowship training that I began to combine these two interests. And give us an ICU 101. The ICU obviously is a setting where patients are uh, severely ill, critically ill. That's why they're in the ICU. And the ICUs are used uh, in situations both where we are trying to reverse acute illness or injury, but also acute exacerbations of chronic illness. And so the, there really is a, a remarkable diversity of patients in the, in the critical care setting. Nationally in the U.S., about 20% of Americans actually die in an ICU. So 20% of all deaths in the U.S. occur either in an ICU or very shortly after an ICU stay. And that actually amounts to over 500,000 deaths per year in the United States. So it's really quite a dramatic part, an important part of critical care. And what are the costs? Well, the costs are substantial. Uh, The ICU accounts for about uh, 20% of health care costs. And how about the number of days of an average stay? You know, that varies dramatically by type of ICU. I'd say most uh, medical or med surge ICUs have a length of stay that's, on average, uh, medians are usually about three or four days. But those averages or medians can hide a small proportion of patients who can actually stay for quite a long time. And that's actually where a lot of the costs really start to add up. And what do you believe are the current problems with end-of-life care and palliative care in the ICU? Well, I think that there are a number of problems. One is simply just recognizing the importance of this area. That I think critical care clinicians in general realize that a lot of what they do is to take care of patients and families in situations where patients die. But there hasn't been an understanding of the importance of bringing the skills of palliative care into the ICU to help those patients and families through that process. So I think recognition is very important. I think uh, although we do a pretty good job of managing pain and symptoms on average in the ICU, I think there are uh, certain types of patients who have uncontrolled uh, and unassessed symptoms, and I think that's another important problem area. And then I think communication is probably the most important area. If you talk to family members, certainly it's the area that they highlight the most. And it's an area where we generally don't train critical care physicians or nurses well 
in how to communicate with patients and families. And so I think that's another real area of need. Tell us about your research program. Uh, Our program has been going for about a decade now, and it's funded primarily by the National Institutes of Health through three R01 awards, as well as other kinds of grants, uh, but also some funding through foundations such as the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the uh, Open Society Institute Project on Death in America, uh, and also the Furlands Foundation. And, And the program is really designed to try to improve the way that we deliver palliative and end-of-life care in the ICU setting, as well as to patients with with chronic illnesses. And so we've been setting about to try to develop measurement tools so that we can understand when we're doing a good job, and then design and test interventions to improve the care that we give. Describe the measurement tools. We've developed some measurement tools that are based on surveys of family members or of ICU clinicians asking them to rate different aspects of palliative and end-of-life care. So some of the tools focus on communication and rate clinicians' abilities to communicate with patients and family members. And then other tools, actually, we've, we've developed a tool that we call the Quality of Dying and Death, which is a survey filled out after death by either family members or clinicians, rating different aspects of the dying experience. They're the family member or the clinician's perspective on the patient's experience. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Randall Curtis, discussing integrating palliative care and critical care in the ICU. Dr. Curtis, what feedback have you received from physicians? Physicians, by and large, I've found, find this to be a very important topic. You know, physicians who work in the ICU in particular see a lot of dying and death in their uh, daily work, and they understand the importance of the topic. So I, we get a lot of positive feedback for taking on this area and trying to find ways to improve care. I guess the other major type of feedback that we get from physicians is just um, how busy they are and that it's hard to ask physicians to take more time communicating to take more time focusing on uh, a new area when they already feel like their uh, time is crunched, that they're uh, working as hard as they can and fast as they can to provide good quality care in in many different domains, and now we're asking them to focus on a, a relatively new domain. And what is your best advice to them in terms of interventions in the ICU? I think my best advice is to realize and understand that uh, communication with patients and and primarily with family members is an important part of uh, providing high-quality critical care and that there are some specific uh, skills and areas where we can uh, improve the way that we do that with relatively simple interventions. We can improve our communication with family members, improve their experiences, and ultimately reduce the burden that critical care has on the family. And what feedback have you gotten from families? Families, by and large, focus on the importance of communication. Many family members are actually very, very pleased and happy with the care that their loved one got. But by and large, most family members say that even though the care was wonderful, the clinicians were wonderful, there wasn't enough communication with them, and that's an area that they really point to as as needing to be improved. And that's actually true regardless of whether the patient survives or the patient dies. In fact, one of the things that we found recently in our studies is that family members of patients that die 
are actually a little more satisfied with communication than family members of patients that survive. And so I think that's a, an important area of unmet need is to make sure that we not only do a good job of communicating with the families of patients that die, but also of patients who ultimately survive. And why that difference? I think that different ex- difference exists because there is increasing recognition of the importance of focusing on the family when we think patients are going to die. Uh, but I think we don't recognize the burden that critical illness has on family members uh, even when the patients ultimately survive. And in those patients who we think are going to survive, we tend to focus much more on caring for the patient and much less on caring for and communicating with the family. And what role does hospice play in the ICU? I think that uh, hospice and palliative care can play a very important role in the ICU by providing palliative care consultation and helping clinicians, critical care clinicians, in difficult uh, uh, situations with family members who are perhaps you know, less trustful, for example, or more distressed uh, by the critical illness. I think that the field in general of hospice and palliative care can be very helpful. Hospice as a service, I think you know, most critically ill patients, it's unusual in my experience to discharge critically ill patients to hospice, although it, there are some situations where that is appropriate and that can occur and, and be very uh, useful. Do you see that happening more and more? Most of the patients in the ICU in whom we're considering withdrawing life-standing therapy because the, the therapies are no longer indicated or desired, most of those situations, you know, these patients are, are very severely ill and, and die generally quite quickly after life-sustaining therapies are withdrawn. In most of these patients, there's not an opportunity to transfer them out to a hospice setting. I think the situation where it does come up are the patients, for example, with chronic lung disease where they may be able to survive for days or even weeks after withdrawal of life support, and then I think hospice can be very very helpful. And when do you know when to change paths from critical care to palliative care? That's a very important uh, issue and, and problem. And I think that the norm in our ICUs is that we begin down a path of a very aggressive care trying to sustain life, that the physicians and nurses begin to wonder about the usefulness of that approach for a given patient after often several days, but we don't approach families until we become more sure. And so it may take us five or six or eight days to become sure enough to approach a family, and then they need to begin the process of considering transitioning to another goal of care. And so, you know, I think ultimately one of the ways to improve the care that we provide is to bring families into this process, into our thinking earlier Uh, and have them uh, make this transition more gradually with us as opposed to waiting till we're ready to say that life-sustaining therapy is no longer indicated and then trying to bring them along that path. How do you balance that? Because you're you're balancing hope and that the patient might get better with the reality that the patient might not get better. Right. And I think that's really ultimately what, what is so difficult and challenging. And there's no easy way to balance that. In fact, I feel that if people begin to, clinicians begin to think that these decisions are easy, then maybe they've been in critical care too long. These are, these are really difficult issues, uh, and they're difficult for patients and families. There's, you know, a lot of, uh, it really requires careful discussion, exploring values, and, and struggling with the difficulty of when we have hopes that are reasonable and when we've really 
approached a situation where the hope of recovery is no longer really there. How can doctors learn more, Dr. Curtis? I think there really is a growing literature uh, on these issues and growing amount of research uh, that has looked into ways to improve this. We edited a book on uh, improving end-of-life care in the ICU that was published by Oxford University Press in 2001 called Managing Death in the ICU. There's also been um, a number of different journals that have put together articles on this topic. There was a supplement in critical care medicine that was published in November of 2006 that has some really nice uh, articles and reviews on this topic. And then I think there's also some emerging information on the web as well that puts together uh, a lot of these different topics and reviews. Dr. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.